after the service today, someone gave me a piece of paper, and you said, you, you need to go on YouTube and watch this. And it's simply opened up the piece of paper, it said, Mark Lowry, then it said, Nanny, Papa, and the Baptist Rapture. And so I like Mark Lowry, so I did this afternoon get online, and I watched it, and it's, it's pretty brief. But he tells the story of, of when he was growing up, that uh, when he was about five years old or so, he was sitting there with his grandparents in church one day, and their pastor died in the pulpit. He died while preaching. As Mark tells it, you know, he died on his third point. And then they called a new preacher, fresh out of cemetery, as Mark says. And this new preacher came in, and he started preaching, and he said, he started preaching that we were going to have to go through the tribulation. He said, now my daddy didn't want to go through the great tribulation, so we went across the street to the Baptist church so we could go with them in the rapture. <laughs> he said, we did. We joined the Baptist church because they were going in the rapture. My daddy didn't want to go through the great tribulation. It would be nice if it was that easy. <laughs> it would be nice if we had that kind of a choice. Uh, and certainly it's not up to us. But tonight, what we are going to be talking about is, as we, we're talking about this series, Understanding the Last Days, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. Um, I've really wrestled with this one uh, simply because of the depth of the material. How far down do we go uh, into the material and knowing that our time is limited. And so we may not touch everything that you want to touch on, but I was afraid if we get too deep into Daniel and that kind of thing and Antiochus Epiphanes and all those kind of things, Jewish history, uh, I'm afraid that we, we might be here for a while. So I'm going to take more of a 30,000 foot view of this idea of the Antichrist. Um, in this series, of course, we're talking about the four or five end time events that I believe every Christian should understand. And of course, we're talking about the rapture, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and the second coming. And then, the, I said four or five, that, that's four. The fifth one that we'll probably touch on a little bit uh, before this is all said and done is the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. But primarily, the four things that we're, we're focusing on are the rapture, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and the second coming. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the person that in the Bible is called the man of lawlessness, the beast, or the Antichrist. Uh, we're going to be talking about this time when there will be an individual, a human, not, not just some spiritual being, but there will be a man that is raised up who will for a time literally rule the entire world. I want to begin by emphasizing when that person will step onto the stage of world history. And so let me, let me kind of summarize where we've been and, and maybe a little bit of where we're going. So if this is just a timeline of history, uh, of course the first event that we've talked about is, is the rapture. And then we said that there is the tribulation, which is how many years? Exactly, seven years. And then there is the second coming. Christ. So, we believe, I believe, that the Bible teaches that the church, we're in this, what we would call the church age right now, 
that we're living in the church age, there will come a time when without warning, the rapture will occur. There will, there will be no signs preceding this that it could occur at any time. The rapture will occur and God's people will be removed from the world. God's people will be taken up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about that, that we'll be taken up to be with the Lord in the air. And then after that rapture, there will be seven years of tribulation. And then after the seven years of tribulation, it says that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and that will be uh, the second coming of Christ. Now, what I want you to understand is, let's talk about, well, when is the Antichrist going to step forward? It's really going to be almost in two phases, and I'll show you why I say that. Let me put, if this is the rapture, we've got three distinct events, rapture, tribulation, and second coming. After the rapture, the Antichrist will make his appearance, though we won't know it. We won't know who it is. We won't be able to instantly recognize that's the Antichrist. Because for the first three and a half years, he will be seen as a world leader. He will be praised as a world leader. For the first three and a half years, uh, just think about, for example, what the the kind of worldwide chaos that will occur after the rapture. I don't know how many Christians are in the United States, but there are millions of them. I don't know how many Christians are around the world, but there are certainly millions and millions of Christians around the world. Think of the worldwide chaos and the instability of government and the sheer panic that will engulf our planet when the rapture suddenly takes millions and millions and millions of people from, from this planet. The devastation brought on by that chaos will, will spur a worldwide outcry for relief and for world order. There will be absolute chaos after the rapture. And the world will be crying for a leader. The world will be crying for order. The world will be crying for relief. And that will set the stage for a new world leader to emerge who will promise solutions to the world's problems. This man will gradually become more and more powerful. He gradually will become known. He gradually will become more and more influential to the point that he will be able to eventually negotiate world peace, especially in Israel and in the Middle East area. And he will promise the world security and he will promise the world peace. And he will be a great uh, speaker and he will be charismatic and he will have the attention of all the networks. And he will be the man that everybody is looking to. He will be the one everybody puts their hope in. That's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then halfway through these seven years, this is when the Antichrist, the one who has been viewed as a hero, the one who has been viewed as a political genius, during the second half will be the great tribulation, what the Bible sometimes refers to, the second three and a half year period. This is sometimes called the tribulation, and this is called the great tribulation. During that second half, that great tribulation period, that's when he will become essentially the president of the planet. The world's last dictator. I mean literally the world's dictator. And it's during that time that he will aggressively live up to his terrible name of anti Christ. And he will be the great enemy of God's people, and he will be the most evil ruler the world has ever known. 
Now, in case you're sitting there, because somebody will ask me this later, because during this time, the Antichrist will be the enemy of God's people. During this last three and a half years, the Antichrist will be slaughtering God's people. So somebody's going to come up afterwards and ask me, no, wait a minute, I thought God's people were raptured. Right? I thought God's people were removed. And they are. Thank the Lord. But during the tribulation, there will be people who will come to faith in Christ. During the tribulation, there will be people who will recognize what has happened. They will put their faith in Christ, though they will have to pay a, pair, a terrible price for their faith. And it's during that time that the Antichrist will pour out his vengeance on those new followers of Jesus Christ. So, here's what I want to do tonight. With that as kind of a summary, uh, tonight I want to talk about three aspects of the Antichrist. I want to talk about his name, uh, I want to talk about his identity, and then I want to talk about some characteristics of the Antichrist. First of all, let's talk about his name. The word Antichrist is only used four times in the New Testament. And it's always used by the Apostle John. So let's just read these. We won't make a lot of uh, discussion about these, uh, but let's just read these four places where we actually read the name Antichrist. Apostle John used that in four different places. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 is the first one. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. John says, we know, we understand that there's coming a day. Look up here. There's coming a day when the Antichrist will come. John says, we all understand there's coming a day when the Antichrist will step onto the world stage. But John also says, but you need to also understand there are many Antichrists in the world today. That is, there are many who live against Christ today. He's not talking about the Antichrist, but those who have the Antichrist spirit, if you will. And there are many in our world today who have that spirit of, of being against Christ John also says in verse 22, look what he says, same chapter, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So John says, let me help you understand this idea of an Antichrist is someone who denies Christ. Denies the divinity of the deity of Jesus Christ. Go over while you're in that same book to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Oh, now, before we read any more, just get this flavor, if you will, that throughout the Bible that we're reading, it's this idea of either acknowledging Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, and then there are those who disavow that. There are those who say, no, he is not divine. So look at the text again. Chapter 4, verse 2. This is how 
you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So even in today's world, when you see someone who denies the, the deity of Jesus Christ denies that Jesus was God's Son in flesh. That is the spirit of Antichrist at work in our world. Look in 2 John. Oh, go over to the next little letter that John wrote. 2 John. It's only one chapter, but look at verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. John makes it very clear that there are many who live in the world whose purpose, whose goal is to deny that Jesus came in the flesh, to deny he's God in flesh. John says that is the spirit of antichrist. There will be one who is the ultimate antichrist, but until that day comes, there are many who fill that role. So, let me talk about the name Antichrist. As the name and these scriptures suggest, Antichrist is a person who is against Christ. Thus the word anti, against. If you see somebody and they say they're anti-war, they're against war. Antichrist is not just a a name, it's a description. It's someone who is against Christ. Alright, so that's very, very important. Uh. The prefix anti can also mean instead of. Make sure you write that one down. It it means against, but it can also mean instead of. In other words, this is a person who will pass himself off as Christ. This is a person who will claim to be Christ. This is a person who will claim to present himself as Christ instead of Jesus Christ. He will defile everything that is holy. He will essentially be Satan's superman, persecuting, torturing, and killing the people of God, and eventually leading the armies of the world into the climactic battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Now, let me say this. Although he is only mentioned by name four times in the Bible, he appears under many different descriptions or names throughout the Bible. Uh, This is just a, a few. Daniel 11, he is called a despicable man. 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the lawless one. And another reference in 2 Thessalonians, he's called the evil man. And in Revelation 13, he is called the beast. So that's a little bit about his name. We understand uh, what that name represents. But I want to talk now about the identity. The identity of the Antichrist. Though the Antichrist has many names and is described in great detail in Daniel and in Revelation. By the way, those are two big uh, scripture banks, if you will. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, uh, talk about the Antichrist in a lot of detail. He's also found in, in Matthew 24, also in Second Thessalonians, and we'll look at some of those. But though he is described in great detail in Daniel and in Revelation, the identity of the Antichrist has not yet been revealed to us. But, that's not stopped a lot of speculation about who he might be. As you can imagine, there's a lot of speculation. Throughout history, there has been a lot of speculation on who the Antichrist might be. In fact, I googled 
who is Antichrist, and I got 13,400,000 results. So there's a lot of suggestions about who Antichrist might be. I know that you're aware that throughout history there have been some people who have really kind of risen to the top as far as suggested uh, people who may be the Antichrist. For example, in the late 1930s and 40s, who was, who was the person everyone thought was Antichrist? Hitler, exactly. Hitler was moving through Europe, conquering Europe, and he was annihilating the Jews, the Holocaust and all of that, annihilating the Jews. Uh, he even claimed to be Christ in some of his writings. He claimed that he was the new Christ. And uh, so many people believed that he was indeed Antichrist uh, coming in, into the world stage. In fact, one of the things that really helped people come to this conclusion that if you look at the name Hitler and if you kind of link that name to, um, new, if you link the name numerologically, I have a hard time with that word. If you link the name Hitler and numerologically link it to the number of the beast, comes out to 666. Let me, let me show you this because I, I want to try to help you see how foolish some of this stuff can be. So the idea, let's say that we, okay, so let's say that we numeralize the alphabet and we let 100, the number 100, stand for A, no. 100 stands for A, 101 stands for B, 102 stands for C, etc. You get the idea. Okay, so let's have a little fun here. Running through that, just what would H be? What would the number of H be? 107. 107. Have I got that right? Is that right? You say it's one oh A B C D E F G H. But we started at zero. Come on now, if you're gonna get into numerology, you gotta know your numbers. <laughs> we started at one hundred. So H H is y'all scared me for a moment. H is one oh seven. All right, I, this should be an easy one. I is what? 108. Now we're on, we're, we're rolling now. What is T? I'm going to have to look it up myself. T is 119. L? L, anyone? Anyone? 111. E one oh <laughs> I don't want this to add up to six sixty five. <laughs> and then R one seventeen, I believe, if I looked at it correctly. 
Now, indeed, I, I put this with my calculator. If you add up all of these numbers, it comes out to the number 666. Hitler was moving across Europe. He was conquering all of Europe. He said he was a world leader. He wanted to be a world leader. He said that he was Christ. He was slaughtering God's people. The Holocaust, absolutely one of the worst things this world has ever seen. And people started looking at his name and the numbers, and they said, if you add up the numbers of his name, it is 666. He's the Antichrist. And then he died. And that kind of ruined that theory because he didn't come back to life after that. Now, this, this was my, I remember this from my, I'm sorry to say teenage years, but I guess it was early 20s. Um, now, somebody's going to get offended by this one, but I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's not a political statement. But do you, does anybody remember that when Ronald Reagan was president, that some people said he was the Antichrist? Anybody remember that? And I can tell you why. First of all, he was a great speaker. He was known around the world. I mean, I've, in, in my lifetime, I've never seen a, a president as eloquent as Ronald Reagan. Great leader, great speaker, respected around the world. If we're going to kind of do the numerology, but do it just a little bit differently... Let's talk about what his name, Ronald. Anybody know his middle name? Wilson. Reagan. How many letters are in Ronald? How many letters in Wilson? How many letters in Reagan? He's the Antichrist. I mean, I remember this. Because it kind of scared me at first. It's like, oh my goodness, 666. Just trying to show you how foolish this is. Ronald Reagan died, and there went that theory. The one that really is kind of one of my favorites was President John F. Kennedy. President John F. Kennedy at the Democratic Convention in 1956 received 666 votes. He was also, of course, killed. And if you read Revelation, the Antichrist would, be, would receive a fatal wound. And after that fatal wound, after three days, he would rise again. And the world would see it. The world would watch it. There were many people who felt like, because Kennedy was such a worldwide leader and again such an incredible speaker, and because he was a Catholic, and some really believed that the Catholic Church had a, a role in all, all of this, and because of the way he died, as he lay in the rotunda, lying in state, there were some people who were anticipating he would come back to life and announce himself as the world leader. They said he was the Antichrist. But of course, he never came back to life, and of course, that kind of shot down that theory. So, my point simply being, we live in a time, we live in a world where a lot of people are asking the question, well, who is the Antichrist? And the answer is, the Bible never reveals to us who it is. Here's an interesting question. Is it possible that the Antichrist is alive today? 
And the answer is, yes, it is at least possible. Though I'm not saying that he is, it is at least plausible, might be a better way to say it. It is at least plausible that he is alive today. If he is alive today, who knows where he lives? Who knows how old he is? But if he is alive today, nobody else would know who he is. Nobody else would know his ultimate destiny. Again, I'm not saying he is alive today. I'm just saying it is plausible because here's what you need to understand. He's going to be as human as you are. He's going to be as human as you are. Now, he will be filled with Satan himself. He will be demonic in every way. But he will be as human as you are. Can I remind you that when Jesus came to this earth, he was as human as you are too. He was born just like you were born. The Antichrist is simply going to be an imitation of the real Christ. The Antichrist is going to be someone who who is the imitation of who Jesus was. He will claim to be the Christ. And he will be as human as you are. So yes, there will be a day when he is born. There will be a place where he lives. He will grow up and be a teenager and a young adult and eventually he will become the most evil leader this world has ever known. Filled by Satan himself. So let me, let me just now give you some characteristics of the Antichrist. I'm going to give you eight things. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. It's not going to take as long as it sounds like it will. But eight characteristics of the Antichrist. And we could make the list 10. We could make the list 12 or 15. I'm just trying to give you some of the basic information of some of the characteristics of this man that is called the Antichrist. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. If you're taking notes, let me give you these eight things uh, one by one. First of all, number one, the Antichrist will suddenly arrive on the world stage. He will suddenly arrive on the world stage. Now, remember, let me flip this back over. Remember, I believe he will arrive on the world stage after the rapture. He will grow in power, grow in influence until he gets to the point of three and a half years into the tribulation, and that's when he will become the evil dictator and, uh, of the world. But let's see what Revelation 13 says. Revelation 13 describes it this way, verse 1, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And many people believe that that word sea here does not mean water but it means the sea of humanity. Based on another reference in Revelation, I think it's in chapter 17, I've forgotten the reference now, but probably he's talking about that he stepped out of the sea of humanity, that he came out of humanity just like you and I. All right? And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. We'll come back to this in, in just a moment. But I just want you to know that all of a sudden he steps out. Look at, look at the wording here. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea of humanity. There's, there's a point in time when he suddenly arrives on the world stage. I, I do not know if that verse is talking about this point in time or this point in time. That is, right after the rapture when he becomes known 
as a man of influence, as a, as a, a man who could help the world, or will it be this point in time where he's known as the most evil dictator this world has ever known and he wants to, to rule the world? But my point simply being, there is coming a time when he will suddenly step onto the world stage, though he will grow up somewhere in the world. Characteristic number two, the Antichrist will be the incarnation of Satan. Again, just like Jesus is the incarnation of God, the Word becoming flesh, He's the incarnation of God, the Antichrist will be the incarnation of Satan. Let's look at it in Revelation again, verse uh, 1 and 2 this time. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the dragon, that's Satan, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And he had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. And the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like that of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast, watch this, the dragon who is Satan, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Don't miss that. The dragon or Satan gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The Antichrist will be the visible expression of the invisible devil. Just like Jesus was God in human flesh, he will be Satan in human flesh. And for a time, he will have the same power that Satan has. That's what it's talking about in verse 2. He will give the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So the Antichrist will be the incarnation of Satan. Number three, as strange as it may sound, number three, the Antichrist will have a worldwide appeal. This is where spiritual deception comes in. Because looking at this as good old Southern Baptists on a Sunday night, it's like, well, how could anybody fall for this? How could anybody believe that, that he is something good, that there's something good about him, that he has good intentions? Well, let's just look at the text. Verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. The, the whole world was astonished that he has this fatal wound, but he was healed. And that was one of the factors that the whole world becomes astonished and intrigued, if you will, and they begin to follow the beast. Verse 4, men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast. That is, they also worship the Antichrist and ask, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Who is like that? There's nobody in the world like him, is what they're saying. He will have a worldwide appeal. The next characteristic, number four, is this. The Antichrist will rule in full authority. He will rule in full authority. Verse 5, same chapter. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. How long is 42 months? 
Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So for, for three and a half years, or 42 months, it says the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Notice this. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Not only will he have a worldwide appeal, he will also have worldwide authority. The next... um, Number five, I believe it is. The Antichrist will also claim to be God. He will claim to be God. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I never. I needed to finish reading verse 7 and 8 back in Revelation 13. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Everyone will worship the Antichrist if they do not know the real Christ. Which brings us then to the next one. He will claim to be God. Uh, Go with me to 2 Thessalonians. Over to the left of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two verses three and four. Hey, what? Let's start in verse one. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse one. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, or the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Remember that phrase, the man doomed to destruction. To destruction. Now look what it says in verse 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. There will be the construction of a third temple. And there will come a time when the Antichrist, after that temple is constructed, by the way, when, and I may talk about this more later, but when we were in Israel this last time, we actually went to a place in Jerusalem where they are constructing the instruments used in the worship of the third temple. We actually visually saw some of the things that they've made for use of the third temple, worship in the third temple. And the Bible says, he'll set himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself, To be God. And every network in the world will be there. Carrying the big news. Now, let me go to the next one. Number six. I think, are we at number six? All right, number six is this one. The Antichrist, as you can imagine, will desecrate God's temple. 
Jesus talked about this very thing. Remember, he says in Thessalonians, Paul says that he'll set himself up in God's temple and proclaim himself to be God. Jesus also talked about this. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 through 21. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21. That the Antichrist would desecrate God's temple. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, that's, that's talking about the desecration of the temple, of, of the Antichrist declaring himself to be God and desecrating God's holy temple. When you see the standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then he goes on to say, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let no one on the roof of... Uh, and let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles and deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. The Antichrist will desecrate God's temple and try to deceive God's people. Number seven, we'll do these very quickly. Number seven, he will call the earth's armies to fight against Christ. He will call all of the earth's armies to fight against Christ. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Because he is a world ruler and a world dictator and has the authority of the world behind him, he will call all of the armies of the world to one place to fight against Christ. Revelation 19, verse 11. <clears throat> I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. By the way, let me stop here for just a moment. If you're just a little bit nervous about the whole Antichrist thing, you need to just spend some time in Revelation 19. Because I want you to know something, it ends well. It really does. So let's, let's pick up the story. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. This is, of course, a description of Jesus. Look up here. The second coming of Christ. Here's what it says. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. I love this. King of kings and Lord of lords. 
John says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast, or the Antichrist. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. This is talking about, of course, the battle of Armageddon. If you go to Megiddo in Israel, you can stand on that mountaintop and look down over this flat tabletop valley and view the battle of Armageddon, view where it will take place. Where the Antichrist will gather the armies of the world to fight against Christ. Which brings me to the final characteristic we have time to look at tonight. Number eight is this. His final destination is a lake of fire. Pick up the story with me, Revelation 19. Go back to verse 19, and then we'll read verse 20. Then I saw the beast, or the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. It says in verse 20 that he was captured and he was cast or thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So John, when he was writing this revelation, I, I had to think about, I wonder what it was like for John to write through the book of Revelation and write about some of these things about the Antichrist and what the Antichrist will be and what the Antichrist will do. Chapters 13, chapter, you know, writing all these, these awful things. And then he gets to this part where the Spirit of God shows him how it's all going to end. And John got to pen those words beast will be cast into cast alive into the burning lake of sulfur and John could put down his pen and say hallelujah hallelujah he does indeed God does indeed win in the end look up here at this final uh, at this diagram one final time this is history this is also his story God's in charge of this. And God graciously has told us this is the way it's all going to unfold. See, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, He's in charge. You've got nothing to fear if you know Him. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight.